you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 6, as we continue our study through this wonderful book of the Bible. We're going to pick up where we, or be in the chapter that we were last week, and we're going to pick up where we left, left off. And so we'll be right there in the middle of verse 6. And if you are new with us, or you have not been here, or you just need to be reminded... Yes? Oh, everybody's waving at me there. Yeah. So if you're a kid, get on out of here, okay? In the name of the Lord. See ya. In the name of Jesus, be gone. Okay, I see you. They're, they're heading out. All right, thanks. Man, I don't pay attention evidently. Yeah, good to see y'all. There was 10 people waving at me. Okay. With that being said, all right, join me there. Mark chapter six. And where we're, where we're picking up here in Mark 6, and it's really verse 6 in the middle, I call it part B of that, we pick up in a missionary or we might say a ministry tour that Jesus is on. I like to call it the kingdom of Christ tour, okay? So Jesus is going on the kingdom of Christ tour and he's going from village to village around the Sea of Galilee. Now he's been doing this for quite some time. In fact, his ministry has been going on for roughly a year at this, at this time. But he is going from synagogue to synagogue, village to village, and he is proclaiming the message of the good news of the kingdom of God, namely that it was in their midst in his presence. So where he was, the kingdom of God is present before us here. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is present before you in me, the very son of God. And so Jesus was going from place to place. And as he proclaimed the word of the kingdom, he did the deeds of the kingdom. And so as he told them that the kingdom was near, he did things like he healed the sick. He did things like cast out demons, like a ministry of exorcism in the the name of Jesus Christ and in his power. And he did stuff like even raise the dead. That's the ministry of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of healing. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of wellness and wholeness. It's a kingdom of restoration and reconciliation. And Jesus Christ, as he went from village to village, was not only proclaiming this kingdom, but he was saying it's here in front of you. Here are signs of that kingdom. As we pick up in the middle of verse six, we find Jesus and his disciples leaving the town of Nazareth, where Jesus, as part of the kingdom of Christ tour, had gone to his hometown. And we saw last week that he was teaching about the kingdom and he was seeking to do signs of the kingdom. And there was such a lack of faith. There was such a rejection there that he was only able to do a few things. He healed the sick of a few people who came to him and said, please heal me. And he did. And he proclaimed the message of the kingdom, but people got upset. And they began to ask him, and you can tell by their tone that he was, or or tell him by their tone, he was not welcome there. And so Jesus being rejected in his very hometown, he leaves the, the, the town of Nazareth and with his band of disciples, 6b, and it says these words, it says, and he, and of course with his disciples, he went about among the villages teaching. And so the kingdom of Christ tour is now back on. It never stopped and it's going from village to village. 
Now, here in our message today, we're going to have a surprising change or a shocking shift that's going to take place. It's not going to be in the message. The message is not going to change. The message of the kingdom of Christ would remain the same. It's not going to be the ministry of the kingdom or the healing of the sick or the casting out of demons or a ministry of restoration and reconciliation. Those things weren't going to change. It was going to be the ones that would be teaching and the ones who would be doing the ministry. That's what was going to change. To this point, Jesus Christ has been the one that's been leading up this tour. And he's going to continue to lead it up, but he's going to lead it up through his disciples. And so look with me there at verse 7. We're told, and he called the 12 and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirit. Now we have to understand that so far the disciples or this, you know, this little band of brothers here, that they're, they're a interesting little crew. Okay. They're from all over the place from different walks of life and worldviews. And they are brought underneath the ministry of Jesus Christ. They are now following him together. And these guys have a lot of shared experiences thus far. They've been following him for a little over a year. And what they've had thus far is they have been privately instructed or taught by Jesus. I feel like this must have been such a treasure or such a gift to them. We saw this as we've been, or we have seen this as we've been walking through Mark, as we saw Jesus teaching from the beach, the, the parables of the kingdom, and then teaching the disciples privately what he was saying you know, to the mass groups. But he got them in close quarters and he taught them about the message. He spoke to them privately and instructed them. They had been exposed to his power. Like they were so close in proximity to Jesus. They saw his power exercised over demons. They saw his power over disease, the weather, and even death. But even though they had this close proximity to Jesus, and even though they had this great exposure to him and his power and his authority, they themselves oftentimes doubted him. And I know you've seen this thus far in these first six chapters, but, but these guys, they had some very misled theological convictions. They didn't understand the word that he was oftentimes teaching them. And they appeared to be plagued with doubt much of the time. <clears throat> it was these same people that over, even after a couple more years of ministry, in the very darkest hour of Jesus' ministry and his life on earth, they would abandon him. They would reject him. They would walk away for a brief season of fear and confusion. They saw Jesus not only treated poorly at times by themselves, but they saw him be rejected by many people, rejected by the religious leaders of the day, rejected even by his hometown that they were just walking away from in the moments prior. And they had seen him rejected even by his family or those closest to him. The disciples, even though they were not the sharpest group at all times, and even though they seemed to be missing it by a mile pretty much all of the time, Jesus saw who they were. He knew who they were, and he knew who he was raising them to be. And it was that group of people that he sent out to be his representatives. Jesus would send them out in his name 
He would send them out under his authority. He would send them out with his power. And he would send them out not to do some random thing, but to do the very thing that he was already doing, would continue to do, and that he would do even through them. He sends them out. What a task. As we continue to study the sending out of Jesus to the 12, it's going to be very important for every one of us in this room to take a step back and we need to look first at what Jesus is teaching us and what the word of God is teaching us back in the then and there when he sent out these 12 so that we can meet here in this room at ABC as we're gathered in 2020 to understand what God would have for us, what he might be calling us into in the here and now. So I'm gonna pray and then we're going to jump into verse eight. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that you would use it to certainly open up our hearts to the very heart that you have for us and that you have for people. Also, the desire that you have for the glory of Christ to fill the earth. Lord, we believe that you love us and you care for us. We believe that your kingdom is here and your kingdom is found even through the work of your church and the kingdom will come in full when Jesus Christ returns. God, teach us. Teach us how to be your representatives. Teach us how to uh, live our lives in your name. Teach us how to live under your authority and teach us how to live with your power. We pray this in Christ's name, the name above all names. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you will, look with me there at verse, at the end of verse seven, or really just verse seven, and we'll walk through the text. We'll make some comments. We'll do some learning. We may have to do some unlearning as well. That's part of discipleship. It's a really hard part of discipleship. We have to learn and we have to unlearn things. And that's what we're gonna do today. So look with me there, verse seven. It says, and he called the 12. We know who those 12 are and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Now, the first question you may have is why does he send them out two by two? Well, that that is a good question. I can't say that we necessarily have an answer that's given to us directly about why he did on this particular effort. But what we know from the law and what we know from God's word uh, and what we know from the practice of the Jews and what we know from the way the first century church received this word is that oftentimes that God desired them to go with two or three people for the accountability of the witness itself. And so if they were dealing with a legal issue or it was regarding something of discipline, or it's even regarding the proclamation of the kingdom of God, it was good to go with two to three people. Here, Jesus sends them out as uh, with two. Now this could have been for some companionship. It could have been just so they had some, you know, some company as they went, but it more than likely was to give better accountability to the word that was being preached. And so the witness of two of them was gonna be better than the witness of one. But he sends them out two by two. I think it is absolutely silly for us to go too far into what that could mean, okay? And real quick, I know that there is a lots and lots of comments that I hear about when we pray together that we need to pray with two or three people because Matthew 18 says that if we pray with two or three people and then God's with you. I just wanna be very clear to you. God's with you when you by yourself, Okay, like God hears you when you pray, when you're alone in the dark, 
He certainly hears you when you're with two or three people as well. The reason for the two or three people in Matthew 18 was because it was dealing with a discipline issue and he sent them to take care of it. That was how he desired it to be done. You're always, God's with you if you're by yourself, okay? And he's with you if you're with two people or three people. He's with us today in this room with several hundred. That's, that, that is true. But here on this, this part here in Mark 6, he sends them out two by two without really giving us you know, a full reason. That's the way that he did it. He sent them out two by two and we see it here in Mark 6 and we see it in Luke as well and in Matthew as he sends out for the same journey. We also see in Luke chapter 10, he sends out 72 people and he sends them out two by two as well. So this was the way that he did this ministry and desired it to take place. But we know that he sent them out two by two and the very important thing next to it, he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He gave them authority to cast out demons. In Luke chapter 10, when the 72 come back, they say, we did it. It worked. Even the demons, you know, they had to, they got scared of us when we came up. You know, they, they were like, it happened in your name. Jesus says, whoa, calm down, okay. Pride comes before the fall. You know, that's the kind of, kind of the message that he gives them. But, but what happens is you see evidence of the, these ministry efforts of Christ sending out people in his authority. It actually works. It actually happened. It actually took place. We're going to get a, a word here in the end of, or actually not the end, in chapter six, verse 30, that the disciples are gonna come back and we have no reason to see that it wasn't a successful ministry that they went on to the villages. So this seems to be something that they bought into, that they believed. But he sent them out two by two. He gave them his authority over the unclean spirits. And you remember what his authority looked like in action, don't you? you know, he walks up to a place and the demons say, get away from me. You're the son of God. Get away from me. You know, that's the kind of thing. Well, these disciples, this little hilarious band of 12, okay, they, they go in two by two into the villages and it would appear that at least in some of those places, similar reactions happen when God, when Jesus's people walked in. Get away from us. He gave them his authority over the unclean spirits. But also look at verse eight. It says, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. <laughs> okay, now if you read Matthew chapter 10 and you read Luke chapter nine, you're gonna find a disagreement with this text, okay? And it's important for me, I believe as a pastor and as a teacher to acknowledge that. It's something that many people will point out to you if you, if you get in this kind of conversation with people who know the gospel accounts. And it is something that I don't necessarily understand. You know, it, it could have been when Mark copied it down that he wrote it down, you know, in the way that it was supposed to be. And Matthew and Mark said, we're gonna assume that it was more than this. I, we're, we're not really sure. What we know is there is a disagreement and the disagreement should not really compromise the beauty of the text, okay? The disagreement is for Luke and for Matthew, they're gonna say that there were no sandals and there was no staff, okay? Regardless, he's asking them to and calling them to travel very light, 
Okay. This is not something that as a dad of four kids that we do ever. Okay. So we don't know anything about traveling light. This sounds like a joy to me, you know, go with, go with nothing. Just hop in the van and ride. Okay. That's the kind of thing we don't get to do that. It takes us like 45 minutes just to get out of the door to go to the grocery store. But that's really not important for this text. Okay, what is important is that he charges them to, uh, to travel very lightly. Well, what does he tell them not to bring? Well, we're gonna assume with Mark that he tells them you can bring a staff. Okay, so they, they have a staff so they can walk with, maybe protect themselves from literally every commentary I read said like wild animals. Okay, so that sounds scary. Okay, they're out in the wilderness and animals are coming after them. Okay, and they could use it to slap one in the head. So they might have a staff, but they were not supposed to take bread, no food for the day. They were not supposed to take a bag. And this is more than likely a beggar's bag. And as far as what we can see from the language. And so this was not, they were not to ask anyone for money. They were not to beg for money so they could buy their own bread. They were to have no money in their belts. They couldn't bring their wallets. And we're told here, even though Matthew and Luke would differ, that they were to wear sandals. They could have sandals on their feet or maybe they had to go barefooted, who knows. But, and and they could only have one tunic. Now, I know that may not seem like a problem to you today, but a tunic, you know, like for most of the time when you consider them and probably what this was referring to was like a sleeveless, you know, article of clothing that would go over their clothes, kind of like my Patagonia vest here, but go all the way down to their knees. That'd be cute, wouldn't it? I need one of those, a little Patagonia tunic. But it would go down, it would go down to their knees. The, the description here of that they couldn't take two, more than likely a second one would be used to cover up at night. It could be used almost as like a blanket. <clears throat> what Jesus is doing here is he is setting them up for dependence upon himself. He's sending them out so they would be dependent upon him and dependent upon his plan for them to receive the hospitality of those in the villages that they would go to. So it's not that Jesus doesn't want them to eat. It's not that he wants them to be flat broke when they go places. It's not none of that. It's just that what he is setting them out for, this is a mission. This is in this situation, he's sending them out with basically nothing to go and be dependent upon him and the people that would take them in, in their homes. He tells them this, he says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, when he says, whenever you enter a house, this is they would go into a village and keep in mind, a lot of these villages would be very small. When we talked about Nazareth last week, we're talking about under 500 people. And so like he, he walks, they walk in to the village and they're looking for someone, Luke says, like a person of peace. So they're looking for someone that will listen to them, that will take them in and that will care for them, that will provide for them bread because they don't have any bread. That will provide for them a place to sleep because they don't have it at this moment. That would provide for them if they needed a blanket since they didn't have a second tunic. They're, they're to be dependent upon the Lord, yes, but also the hospitality of other people. And he says that whenever you enter a house, stay there. What that's talking about is not stay there and don't go and do ministry in the town. It's saying when you're there, stay at this one place. You know, if somebody at the synagogue where you go says, hey, I've got a much nicer place with a pool. You know, like I've got a place that's better than what the place you're staying at down the street. Don't go there. 
It's also a lesson, it appears, on contentment. That he's telling them to be dependent upon him in the hospitality of others and also be content with what they receive on this mission. What they are there for is to come in the name of Jesus. They're to come under the authority of Christ and they're to come in his power, with his power, to proclaim the kingdom and to do the signs or the deeds of the kingdom. That's what they're there to do. It says that if the town, if no one will receive you, and I'll put it this way, if there's no room for you at the inn, okay, that's happened with someone we know. If there's no room for you, then you are to do something that is symbolic. It's an act really of judgment. It's also a call to repentance again, to change your mind. But it it was a symbolic action of judgment where they would kick the dust off of their shoes. Now, I'll, I'll give you a, couple of places where we see a description for that. Look with me at Luke chapter nine. And I want you to see what the word is given there. It's it's obviously the same scenario. It's the same scene. I won't spend a lot of time here, but I want you to see it. Luke nine, we're told in verse one, he called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over all demons. That's a big word, all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out proclaiming the kingdom of God and to heal. In Matthew, when it describes it, it says that they go and as they're doing the ministry of healing the sick and casting out demons to announce the kingdom of God is at hand. To me, that is so awesome. Like I love to think about what this was like. That he's saying Jesus Christ and his kingdom, the king is here, we represent him and what you see in your midst shows you that he's here. It's just a beautiful proclamation of the kingdom of God. But he says this in verse four of Luke nine, it says, in whatever house you enter, stay there and from there you'll depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So it's obviously an act of judgment. In Luke chapter 10, it gives a little bit more of a word This is the 72 have gone out and he describes it this way. Verse 10 of chapter 10 says, but whatever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets. And so this is a message to the whole village and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Still a beautiful message. But he says this, and this is, If you do not change your mind, he says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. That's not good. Now, if you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, you tend to think of them for their sexual immorality. But the reason why judgment came to them was not on account of their sexual immorality as it's proclaimed by God in Ezekiel. He says it was because they lived a life of prosperous ease and they neglected the needs of the poor around them. What it would appear as this is they were too greedy to take you in. They didn't want to help you out. And so just shake the dust off. They were saying they didn't have room for the kingdom of God. It's very interesting because that's what happened in Nazareth, wasn't it? But Jesus is saying this, it's not a final act of judgment. It is an act of judgment in the here and now of the first 
century and in this mission. Verse 12 of our chapter, verse, chapter 12 of verse, uh, my goodness, chapter six, verse 12 of Mark says, so they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. Now, what, what does that mean for them back then? What, what were they doing? He was calling them to change their mind. That's what the word repent means about the kingdom of God. And so whatever it is that they had in their mind previous to what that meant for the kingdom to come, he, they, he, they were saying, you must change your mind. The kingdom has come in Jesus of Nazareth. They were having to teach themselves this all the time. Remember, they thought the kingdom was gonna come through brute force. And yet they were having to change their mind. They had to repent and learn the kingdom is coming through service. It's coming through love. It's coming through mercy and grace in the King, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Verse 13 says, and they cast out many demons and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And so they do what Jesus had already been doing. That's what he called them to. Go teach the message or go proclaim the message I have been proclaiming and go do the deeds that I have already been doing and say that you're in my name. Say that you're coming under my authority. Say that you are there in my power. You're my representatives. That's what they go and do. Now, we don't get word that Jesus is using oil in, in his ministry. We haven't heard him say that at this point or seen that. Anointing with oil was something that we do find in James chapter five pertaining to the sick. And what this could mean, if you think about like the Good Samaritan, it could be oil used for medicinal you know, medicinal purpose, yeah, for medical purposes. It could be, that was a hard word to say publicly, but it, it could be used for medical purposes. And so this might be, you know, bust out your thieves, okay? So like the thieves are out, the essential oils are going strong. It could be something more like that was a medical need that's being dealt with. But in relation to what we see here, though there is sickness and though there is healing, that doesn't appear to be what this oil would have been. It would have been talking about, as you feel this going upon your head or on your neck or wherever it was being rubbed there, that this is the very power of Jesus among you, that he's here. He's the one that's healing you. And this is symbolic of that. Be reminded of his presence among you. So that's what was happening in the then and there. You know, this doesn't mean that today when we leave that we say, we're going on mission. Let's take nothing. Jesus told us we can only take one jacket. You know, that, that's, that's not what this is doing. Now, this may be a word that you need to hear, Lord. We're certainly to be dependent upon the Lord and we should be content in all things in Christ. That is a great word for us and in our culture. But today, what we see is something that happened way back then that we can find out a whole lot about it, what it means for us here and now. And so I want to lead you to look at, we're gonna look at five truths as we close out the message today. I do wanna read you several scriptures leading up to these points. I'm gonna read for you the great commission of Jesus as the disciples were sent out there in Mark 6. He also, Jesus sent them out in a new way, uh, but similar in Matthew chapter 28. He also calls us to the same mission. And I wanna read for you as several different texts that 
that have to do with us and what we are called to today in 2020. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20 says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Here in the Great Commission, Jesus sends out disciples once again under his authority, the authority that he has of heaven and earth, the greatest authority. He sends us out with the authority of God. And he sends us out to teach and proclaim the message that he has been teaching and proclaiming all along. Namely, that the kingdom of God is here. It's come in Christ Jesus. It would be present in the lives of those disciples as they were filled with the Holy Spirit as they went places. And it would be a kingdom that is still to come when Jesus Christ will return a second time. That same ministry is given and extended to you and I today in Christ Jesus. We still have his authority. We still go as his representatives. We still go in his name and we have his power to continue the work that he has begun, to continue the work, to meet him where he already is and is already working. We're to meet him and join him there. He is with us as we join him in these places. Acts chapter one, verse eight says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria being on the Holy Spirit of the earth. He told this to the disciples that were waiting on the Holy Spirit to fall. The Holy Spirit fell in the day of Pentecost. And today for all of us in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, the very power of Christ. And we're told that we will receive his power and that we will go as his witnesses. We'll talk about that more in just a second. As we go, we need to continue the heart, uh, to consider the very heart of God and what it is that we're teaching and proclaiming, what we've observed from him. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest of commandments or the great commandment in the law? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus proclaimed on the night before he was arrested to his disciples, a new commandment that he had for them. It was one very similar to the old, but it had a, he upped the ante a little bit. He said this, he says that you are to love one another just as I have loved you, you are to have love for one another. This is how you'll be known as my disciples by the love that you have for each other. He says in John 15, this is the love, uh, this is what I command you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. As we go out and we consider ministry and mission and the work of the kingdom, it's always done in love. It's always done not only with the word of Christ, but in the way of Christ. And the way of Christ is to love your neighbor just as you have been loved by Jesus Christ himself. That is why Paul proclaims so loudly in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ 
compels us. It controls us. It motivates us. It sends us out. Because we've concluded this, that one died for all, that all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I don't know if there is a text that better speaks to what it means to live as a representative of Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 to 21. It's in this that we see the word to go in a new way. We're new creations and we live life with new values and we see it as the kingdom has been proclaimed to us in Christ Jesus. We're, we're to go in that power and in that newness and we're to be a part of a ministry of reconciliation. We're told in verse 18 of, of chapter five of Second Corinthians, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, which is the message of the kingdom of God. Chapter, I mean, same chapter, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors or we are representatives of Christ or for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, what we find here is in the situation that we live in is the kingdom has come in Christ Jesus. The kingdom has come. It came in the first advent. Jesus said, the kingdom is here. It's before you, it's at hand. We now live in a day where we have the Holy Spirit. Christ has ascended to the right hand of God. And now we are his representatives going into a, into a world. We are the ones that are his ambassadors saying the kingdom of God is here. It's come in Christ Jesus. Here is the works, the message of the kingdom of recon. It's a, it's a message of reconciliation and there's works of reconciliation, things being restored and healing coming into this broken world. But then we also proclaim the message that the same king will return again and he will in a final way make all things new. The kingdom will in fullness come to this earth. That's what we are representatives of. We get to do that. He calls us into that. Those are the kind of disciples that we make. When it, go into the world, make disciples as you go. As you go into your, the places where you live, as you go into the places where you work, as you go into the places that you play, where your hobbies go down, in the grocery stores, with your neighbor, with your family members, whoever it is, you go into there representing this particular king and as a part of this particular kingdom. A kingdom that's here and now and a kingdom that is still yet to in fullness come. We live in that tension, the tension of this day. And here are several things I want you to write down. I promise I'm, I'm almost done. The first thing is this, is we need to understand that as the disciples were sent out, we too are sent into this world as Christ was sent into this world. We're, we're told this by in John chapter 20, as the father has sent me, he said, now I am sending you. We are now sent out and we are Christ's 
representatives in this world. We are his ambassadors, holding up his gospel, holding up his kingdom, holding up his love and living and representing him well. But secondly, not only, and there's so much we could say about that, we're sent into this world as Christ was sent into this world. But secondly, we are to be, as we said earlier, his witnesses and his window. I love to think about this in those two ways, because yes, we go to proclaim the message of the gospel, the good news of our King, but we also show the world something. They should be able to look into our lives and see the deeds of the kingdom as well. The message of the gospel and the ministry of the gospel or the ministry of the gospel is always a ministry of word and deed. First John chapter three, verse 16 says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. We're always to be a witness and a window of Christ Jesus, our King, and his kingdom that's here and his kingdom that is still to come. The three neighbors that all of us have, every single one of us, and we can adapt this to an extent, uh, depending on our season of life, but we all have neighbors where we live. It could be in your house. It could be those that live under your roof. It could be those that are physically next door in your neighborhood or the places that you go very often, where we live, but also neighbors where we work, those who you're around day after day or you're in class with, and also neighbors where we play. This could be at your gym or in the hobbies that you are a part of. It's there that we're to be a witness in a window. We're to represent the kingdom of reconciliation as ministers of reconciliation. God reconciling all things to himself in Christ Jesus. The third thing I want you to see though is this, is not only are we witnesses in a window, but we do this under his authority and in his name. We have the privilege of going out in the name of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the one that lived, died, was buried and rose from the grave, the one that ascended to the right hand of God and the one who's coming back again, the one who's always and forever good and kind and gracious and merciful and just and right. That's who we represent. We go in his name and we go under his authority. But we also go, write it down, with his power. You may not feel like you have his power, but by God's word, it is proclaimed that you do, that we do. Whether we live like it is a whole nother, a whole nother you know, statement, but we must submit to God as his word proclaims it to us. He says we have his power. That we're to go out, fifthly, compelled by his love not compelled by guilt, not compelled, compelled with fear, or to go out in love by the love of Jesus Christ that we have received. And it's with that love, compelled by that love, that we enter into what he's already doing, to where he already is, that we enter into his works of reconciliation, restoration, and renewal. That's the life that he calls us to that people would come to know Jesus, that people would understand the work of Christ, that it extends bigger than what he's doing in our individual lives, but it's not less than that. But that it involves the, the greatest areas of our world, it, every dark place. The ministry of reconciliation 
is, involves those places. And the kingdom of God sees and knows them. When Christ returns, he will come and he will make all things new. He will restore all broken things. He will bring wholeness to the world. But in the here and now, he calls his people to join him in those places. He calls us to enter into those places with his power under his authority in his name. What a mission we've been called to. It's something that takes place in your car on the way home. It's something that takes place in the grave. That's the mission of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us and care for us. We thank you that we have the opportunity to represent you in this world. God, I pray that we would be people who would humble ourselves to your call, that, that we would not you know, box in the life that you have for us as something that's really small and fits only in between these walls. Lord, may we be people who see that your authority is given to us. Your power rests within us. And the love that you have for people is to be shown in the life of love that we live as we just are in response to what you've done for us already. God, I pray that we would be a people who would join you in your work and we would see you do great and mighty things or that you would transform in our midst and you would bring restoration to our broken world. Lord, as we trust you and enter in with you, Lord, we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.